Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Turn with me, if you would, to our main text for this scripture, which is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We said that uh, this is one of those popular verses you probably heard growing up if you grew up in church like I did. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. How many of you know that's just good life advice right there? Amen. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, verse 6, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. We said in the New American Standard Version, it says that he shall make straight your paths. And that's something that we uh, really have keyed into uh, in this series. We've really keyed in on this idea of God making straight our paths because it's impossible for us to reduce the will of God to a single item in our life. It's impossible for us to reduce the will of God to our career choice, right? It's impossible for us to reduce the will of God just to one static issue or item in our lives. Rather, the will of God for us is when we walk with him and he makes our path straight. You know, it's, it's easy as human beings to deviate from the plan of God because oftentimes we think we have a better way. Anybody ever thought their way was better? Yeah? The Bible says there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. So, so we can think that we're doing everything right, and we're, we've, you know, Lord, don't tell me what to do. I got this dialed in. I'm good without you. But how many of you know he knows the end from the beginning? There's only one person that sees the future, and that's God because he's already there. Amen. So we said that the will of God conclusively for every single person, the will of God is when he makes your path straight because you're walking with him. If you want to know his will for your life, that's it. His will for your life is acknowledge him, trust him, and let him make your path straight. Amen. Now, if you have not been able to be with us for the previous three messages, I encourage you to go onto our website, highcountrychristian.com, and check out our podcast. You'll find all three of those messages are available, and uh, that way I don't have to do too much review, and we can just cover what we need to cover today. I've got a lot of things to say today, so I hope that uh, you put your thinking caps on with me and take good notes, and we'll, we'll get where we need to go. A couple of things that I want to review real quickly from last week is that we discover God's will both by his word and by his spirit. The Bible says, Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I told you some stories about times when I, when I had a light to my path but didn't have a light to my feet and I fell down some stairs. Uh, I told you a story about how I was driving in a blizzard and I knew where I was going, but I couldn't see where I was. There's sometimes when you need a light for right where you are, and then there's sometimes where you need a light for where you're going. It's easy to get lost in life and feel like, Lord, I don't know where I'm at and I don't know where I'm going. But the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen? We said that we discover His Word by, or excuse me, we discover His will also by His Spirit. His spirit leads me in his will. 
Walking in the Spirit doesn't have to be weird. Amen. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean you're going to float around on a cloud all the time. To walk in the Spirit simply means that God's Spirit has all the influence in my decision-making. That when it comes time to make a choice, one voice outweighs all the others. Amen. When it comes time to make a decision in my life, there's one voice that stands above and beyond the rest of the voices. And that's the voice of God. Amen. So that's a little bit of a review of last week. In conclusion of the series today, we want to answer the question, what are the indicators that I'm in the will of God? What are the indicators that I'm in the will of God? Or you put it this way, if I'm in the will of God for my life, how would I know it? How could I recognize that I'm doing what God has called me to do? Now, I found 11 things in the scriptures, and I got at least one verse for each one of these 11 things. So we're going to go to a lot of scripture today. So I invite you to stay plugged in. Uh, It won't be too painful, okay? But um, I found 11 things in the scripture that are clear and definite indicators of the will of God for our life. And um, this is a long list. It's not an exhaustive list. There's probably many more things that you could find throughout the scripture. These are the 11 things that stood out to me. So we're just going to go down through them one at a time. Are you ready? Tell your neighbor, I'm ready. Now tell your other neighbor, I'm ready. Amen. I'm ready as I'm ever going to be, right? All right. Number one, number one indicator of the will of God This one is the most uncomfortable of all of the 11. So we're going to deal with it first and get it out of the way, okay? Number one indication that I'm in God's will is that there are challenges to overcome and conquer. Amen? Sometimes we get into a situation where we face an uncomfortable problem or we face an obstacle that we're not familiar with And we get some pushback and some resistance in our lives. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever felt like you were under attack? They're coming from all sides. The the Bible has some things to say about that. If there is no challenge, you're most likely not in God's will. Okay, I just want to put that out there. If there's no, if the, the Bible says we're more than conquerors, through Christ Jesus who loves us, more than conquerors. That means that we have something to conquer, right? That's pretty, it makes pretty much logical sense. If there's nothing in my life to conquer, if there's nothing, no obstacle for me to overcome by faith, then what do I need faith for? If there's no challenge that I'll ever encounter, then what do I need the Spirit of God helping me to do? I gotta tell you, Every time you step into the promise of God, there's something going to resist you. Amen. The Bible talks about in the book of James how we resist the devil and he flees from us. Why why would James write that if there wasn't a devil to resist? If there wasn't a problem to overcome? If there wasn't a challenge that we had to overcome and be greater than in our life? There's, I mean, Romans chapter 8 is filled with overcoming type scriptures. Amen. Why would we need that word of encouragement if there wasn't something for us to face? Amen. The reality is that the devil hates it when you make progress. Progress. 
Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're, take, you're making progress. Just tell him. Just be an encouragement to him this morning. You're making progress. You're making progress. Might not look like it, but you're making progress. And here's the deal. The devil hates it when you make progress. The devil hates it when you take ground. Maybe you're being, check this out, maybe you're being attacked by the enemy, or maybe he's just reacting to your progress. Maybe, maybe you're, you feel like you're under assault, or maybe you're just taking ground and somebody's not happy about it, right? We used to say, or well, my dad used to say when I was a kid, he would, they, I would hear the, the, all the preachers talk about their challenges. That's one of the benefits of being in a pastor's home. You go to lunch after church and you hear the preachers get real. And then they just start saying, well, here's all my challenges. And everybody starts comparing their challenges. And uh, my dad would always say this all the time. Well, you know, brother, new levels, new devils. New levels, new devils. You're making progress in an area. You're moving into a place that's beyond where you've been comfortable at for a long time. Guess who hates your progress? The devil. Guess who's going to push back against your progress to see if you really are making the progress or if it's just all talk? Ooh. Listen, every time you make a decision for the things of God, the enemy will come to test the decision. Just know that that's true. I'm not trying to toot the devil's horn, not trying to give him any more credit than he deserves because he's a nerd and he is defeated and I couldn't give two licks about the enemy. But here's the deal. He does push against you when you make progress, right? And you need to know that. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices in our life. When Israel went into the promised land, there were giants occupying what belonged to them. You know the first thing, the first thing they did when they got into the promised land? They made an altar to remind themselves. They made a, built a little monument to remind themselves that God had delivered them. And then guess what they had to do? They had to go face Jericho. There's always a Jericho in the promised land. Always. You're going to step into, you're going to start to learn about healing and that, hey, healing belongs to me. Praise God. I'm excited about it. Expect the enemy to press on you and see if you really believe what it is that you just learned. The Bible says that tribulation arises. Jesus is talking about uh, this, the uh, parable of the sower. You remember that? The sower sows the word and it falls over here and it falls over there and there's different kinds of soil. You remember that parable? Jesus says when he's explaining the parable to his disciples, he says that tribulation and persecution comes for the word's sake. When you receive the word of God into your life, the enemy will be there to test whether or not the word has taken root in your heart. What's the first indicator that you're in the will of God? There's going to be a challenge to overcome. Amen. Now, there's so much we could say about that. So much we could say about it. There's some challenges that are a result of the will of God. Some challenges are self-induced, self-inflicted challenges. We won't go into all of that. But just know, there's always a Jericho in the promised land. But just know this, you're equipped to overcome every Jericho. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're still an overcomer. You have something to overcome, but guess what? The end of it's already decided. The conclusion of the battle has already been pre-programmed in you, and you're victorious. Amen. Anybody believe that? You're victorious this morning because of the one that lives in you. Amen? Praise God. Number two. Number two, 
indicator of the will of God, I love this, is peace. Peace. See, we got the uncomfortable one out of the way. We talked about challenges, all right? Let's put that to the side. You're a winner, okay? Number two indicator that you're in the will of God is peace. Look at Leviticus 26.6. I love this. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. Look at Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You see, the number two indicator that you're in the will of God is that there's peace. But pastor, you just said there was a conflict. You just said there was something to overcome. What do you mean? Now, you're starting to contradict yourself, preacher. No. The reality is there's both peace and there's conflict. Just because you're in conflict doesn't mean you shouldn't be in peace. How many of you know Jesus, when he stood in the boat with the 12 disciples, was able to speak peace into the storm? Why? Because the storm was around him, but peace was in him. The thing that's in you is able to control the thing that's around you if, you, if you're stayed on God. Look at that Isaiah verse one more time. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is powerful. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You can be going through hell and still have peace in the midst of it if your mind is stayed on God. Sounds a lot like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Sounds like if you and I keep our mind fixed on the things of God and stayed on him, peace will be the governor. It will be the umpire. It will be calling the shots in our lives. You see, you can't experience the will of God without experiencing peace. He'll give you peace in every situation. Amen. Number three. Number three, he'll give you favor. Favor. You know, there's favor to being in the will of God. Favor to be in the will of God. I love what one preacher says. He says, favor ain't fair. Amen. Favor ain't fair. Now, that's a tough one to hear in 2019. We want everything to be fair and equitable for everybody all the time, and that's good. We should want equity for everyone. But the reality is that when God's favor comes on your life, favor just ain't fair. God will open doors for you that he didn't open for somebody else because his favor is on your life. Amen. Anybody ever been in a situation where you knew undoubtedly the favor of God is what put me here and the favor of God is what brought me through this and the favor of God is what brought me into where I'm going? Amen. It's favor, and it ain't fair. Look at this. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. This one, I love this. It's so good. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as a shield. Look at that. Boy, boy, isn't that amazing? With favor, you'll surround him as a shield. Do you realize that the favor of God actually acts as a protective barrier in your life? 
That there's things that might, they might have penetrated your faith, but they can't penetrate God's favor? Come on, man. Come on. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, we were talking about this in small group on Wednesday night, the, the shield of faith. You all remember the shield of faith by which we quench all the, the fiery darts of the enemy? How many of you know sometimes you drop your shield? Sometimes you're not walking in faith. Sometimes you feel a little bit beat up. But how many of you know that God's favor never takes a break? Even though your faith might take a break, God's favor never takes a break. The Bible says he never sleeps nor grows weary. He never slumbers. He's never on a coffee break. He's never, you know, missed your problem. And, oh, geez, I, I didn't see that coming against Gracie. That, that uh, boy, I, that really took me by surprise. How many of you know God can't be taken by surprise? His favor will surround you like a shield so that sometimes when your shield of faith is not where it needs to be, his favor will protect you. There are things I believe we only will know on the other side of this life. There will be things when we enter into eternity that we'll go, oh my God, you protected me from that? How many of you know, do you know, that bus should have hit you, right? But for some reason it didn't. How many of you know that promotion should have gone to the other person, but for some reason it didn't? You weren't even aware of what was actually happening and God's favor was surrounding you like a shield and somehow you got promoted, Somehow, you didn't, you didn't, you know, your kids didn't get sick like everybody else's kids that were on that bus. Come on, somebody. Boy, the flu's going around, but somehow it missed my house. I don't know. Why? Because his favor surrounds me like a shield. My buddy Josh Roberts is writing a book right now called Favor Beats Hustle. Favor Beats Hustle. You know, hashtag hustle. Everybody's trying to hustle. The hustle is real. Now, favor beats hustle. Because God's favor will put you in places your hustle will never get you to. Amen. God's favor will bring you into situations. The Bible says that he will cause us to stand before kings and leaders. Because it, the, the, the Bible says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 60 that kings will come to the brightness of our rising. That's nothing but the favor of God on your life. Did you know favor will take you to places money can't get you to? Amen. Sometimes we think we need more cash to make the deal go through, or we need this, or we need that to, to you know, get to our area of success. Well, you know, sometimes you don't need more money. You just need more favor. Amen. Favor ain't fair. He will surround you with favor like a shield. Number four. I hope you're taking good notes. We got seven more to go. Number four. This is one of my favorites. Oh, my gosh. Number four indicator, you're in the will of God. Supernatural fruit. Supernatural fruit. Pastor, what in the world is supernatural fruit? Here's what it is. Unexplained harvest. Harvest you can't explain. You didn't plant the seed you didn't water it, but somehow you're picking it. Amen. It's, it's harvest of things in your life that you had nothing to do with. Amen. Supernatural fruit. Look at this. Numbers chapter 13, verse 23. This is in the, this is in the promised land. This is when the 12 spies went into the promised land to spy it out. When they came back to the valley of Eshkol, that's out by uh, Deep Gap, uh, and they were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. Watch this. One cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. That's a lot of grapes, right? How many of the last time you, you went to the grocery store to buy grapes because they're on sale and you needed a team to get them home? They had this, listen, they brought some pomegranates and figs and grapes carried between two of them on a pole. That's a huge harvest. Here's the thing about grapes. They only grow like that when they're pruned and tended. Grapes that grow wild never mature. They never get to be more than the little pea size. They grow in all directions. The only way a grapevine is going to produce anything worth eating is when somebody has meticulously maintained it for years. The first four years you plant a grapevine, don't eat anything that comes off of it. You need to let the roots grow down. You need to cut the fruit off. And I was learning about grapes because I'd love to have a vineyard someday. <laughs> you know, the pastor that makes wine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, weirdo. Yeah. <clears throat> No, you, 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 the only way you're going to get grapes to actually produce is if you take very care, specific, intentional care of them over a long period of time. Then they'll produce. Somebody else is responsible for the harvest that these 10 spies, that these 12 spies got to take advantage of. It, when you're in the will of God, there are supernatural fruit that you can't account for. You go, I don't know how this happened. I didn't plant it. I didn't water it. I wasn't there to tend it, yet somehow I get to reap the benefits. Amen. I guarantee you if you've been walking with the Lord in your life, you can look, and there are several areas of your life where you can say, yep, God did some stuff in my life I can't explain. I have no idea how. I just stumbled into this harvest. Amen. Let me show you a New Testament example of this. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Supernatural fruit, watch. And they went out, preached, oh, excuse me, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What does supernatural fruit look like in the New Testament? It looks like you preach the gospel to your neighbor and something radical happens in their life. They get healed, they get transformed, they get delivered, they get taken care of. Amen. Supernatural fruit looks like God moving in on a situation and fixing all the things that are broken. Because just the way that it happened with the disciples, they went out obeying Jesus, preaching the word, and guess what the Lord did? He showed up and he confirmed the word that they spoke with accompanying signs. That is supernatural fruit. Why do I say that's supernatural fruit? Because it's not their word and it's not their power. They're just out there being obedient. And God shows up and does what only God can do. He heals, he delivers, he sets free, he, he, he meets people right in their challenge. There's healing that happens, there's deliverance that happens, there's restoration of life that happens in the people's lives. And guess what? You can't take credit for that. I can't take credit for that. That's God working in an unexplainable way in our lives. It's supernatural fruit, unexplainable harvest. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. This is a guy who had denounced Jesus just a few days prior. And he stands up filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches one message and 3,000 people get saved in one message. That, my friends, is unexplained harvest. That is not the power of Peter that's not the brilliance of Peter. That's not the brilliance of a church program. That's 
somebody getting filled with God and God doing what only God can do, promoting and providing supernatural fruit. This should be happening in our lives when we're in the will of God. Number five, protection. A lot of people tend to think because they've had bad experiences and because of what we said at the beginning that there are challenges to overcome. A lot of people think that you're going to get taken out if you're in the will of God, that it's a dangerous place to be. The reality is the safest place on earth is the will of God. Oh, come on. Somebody say amen. Pinch your neighbor, whatever. I don't know. Do what you got to do. Psalm 91. There is protection in the will of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Sound pretty secure? My God, in him will I trust. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid. Everybody say this. You shall not be afraid. Fear has no place in the life of a believer who is in the will of God. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Verse 6, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, this is amazing, and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Go to verse 8, this will be the last one. My mother used to quote this over me all the time as a kid. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. You see, when you are in the palm of God's hand, when you are in his will, you are protected. Only with your eyes will you see the reward of the wicked. Glory to God. There's protection in the will of God. Number six, I've got to move along here. I've only got a, a few minutes left. You doing okay this morning? Does this make sense to you? Amen. Number five, there's protection. Number six, there is stability. Stability. I think it's just hilarious and unfortunate that a lot of people claim that when they get, you know, that, that when they get filled with God and they start to experience things and they start to become unstable, they, they sort of blame God for that. You know, one week God's telling them to do this, and then the next week God's telling them to do something else. That's not God. Can I just be honest with you? I've seen it so many times, more times than I can even count, on, in my own life as a pastor and as a pastor's kid. People that are just fickle, and God bless them, they're just well-meaning, and they love you, and they love the Lord, but there's just, they're kind of fickle. And they come up and they say, Pastor, this is what God's telling me to do. And then they do it for 48 hours. And then God starts talking again. And now they're going to do something else. Maybe they, they go into a season of life, they go into a time where they feel like they've got some direction and they don't hold fast the course of that direction and, and, and they start to either get a little bit uncomfortable or maybe they get a little bit bored and all of a sudden, God starts talking again. 
If I had a nickel for every time somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, this was such a great service. I loved it. This is our church. This is where we want to be. Brother, we're with you. Only to never see that person again. I, I'm not even trying to be funny. That's just how it happens. Pastor, this is a great church. Oh, glory to God. We're so happy to be here. And I just want to be like, it's been good knowing you. Because the world, the thinking of the world creates instability. But the Spirit of God, when he's at work in you, actually creates stability. A lot of people think that because we're charismatic, we're lunatics and we're weirdos. That's why I was saying last week, you know, it's not weird to walk in the Spirit. It's just when God controls your decision-making. But a lot of times people think we're kind of unstable, a little loony because we speak in tongues, you know. That's kind of weird. No, it's really not. It's just walking in step with God. A matter of fact, if we're true to who God has called us to be, we'll be some of the most stable, consistent people that you'll ever find. God brings stability. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Watch this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Watch this. He shall be like a tree. Like a tree. How many of you know a lot of mobile trees? <laughs> no. No. If you're in the will of God, what? listen, what happens to a tree that gets planted and uprooted and then planted again and then uprooted and then planted again and 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 uprooted? What happens to a tree that's mobile? It dies. What happens to the Christmas tree that you're going to buy in a couple weeks? You cut it from its source to put it in your house and you've immediately killed it. Right? Oh, it'll stay green for a couple weeks unless you don't water it. That happens at my house every, every now and again. No, when you come into relationship with God and you are in his will, one of the earmarks of God's will is stability. You will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Oftentimes, I've noticed that the people who struggle to see the fruit of God, we just talked about supernatural fruit, the folks who are struggling to have fruit in their lives are the ones who haven't found stability in God yet. See, when you encounter the will of God and you get stable in the things of God, the natural byproduct of a tree is to bear fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, then you have to ask yourself the question, have I been planted? Am I stable? Am I secure in the things of God? Am I walking in God's will because I don't see the apple hanging on the tree? I would venture to guess that people who are struggling to produce fruit, more often than not, the problem is they haven't been planted. Oh, man. Ah, I need a rim shot or something. Oh, what, what happens to the tree who's planted by the river? It brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever it does prospers. Amen. Don't be a Christmas tree. Touch your neighbor or something. Don't be a Christmas tree. Be an oak tree. Amen? Be an oak tree. Number seven, I got I to gotta move along. It's, man, it's really hard to not want to preach each one of these points really strongly. Number seven, indicator of the will of God. Success. Success. 
This rubs people the wrong way, but it shouldn't. It's in the Bible. Success, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Watch this. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. If you want success in your life, the first thing you ought to do is get in the will of God and be diligent concerning his word. And his word and his will will bring about success. I know that we think that the, that the idea of success is the American dream, right? Well, you know, success is just the American dream. No, it was God's dream for humanity long before America was America, okay? Success is God's idea for your life. Don't ever forget that. Now, I'm going to make a distinction between number seven, which is success, and number eight, which is prosperity. Number eight is prosperity, Again, kind of makes people uncomfortable a little bit. We tend to think that this was the American gospel, the idea of prosperity. It's not. God was making people prosperous long before George Washington ever chopped down an apple tree or whatever the heck it was that he did. Okay? A cherry tree, whatever, yeah. See, yeah, Josh, Josh is a real history buff, isn't he? No. <laughs> long before the founding fathers penned the Constitution, God was making people prosperous. There's so many examples of the prosperity of God in the lives of people. Do you want to know why it's important? Because we're blessed to be a blessing. You can't do anything for somebody if you're broke. Come on. You can't do anything. We packed, what, 50 shoeboxes we just packed this weekend? If y'all were broke, we couldn't have packed 50 shoeboxes. But you're too blessed. So we got to do more than we could have done had we been broke prosperity is the will of God for your life. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Why? That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Ay, ay, ay. Is this in the Bible? Okay, you know that I didn't make this up? You know Joel Osteen didn't make this up. Okay, he just didn't. This is in the Bible. Okay? I'm, I don't have a mullet, so don't get mad at me. All right? <laughs> Thank you for somebody for understanding that joke. That you may prosper in all that you do and in wherever you turn. Now, what does that have to do with success? We said success was number seven. Number eight is prosperity. The difference between success and prosperity is that success is a result and prosperity is a mindset and a way of living. You can talk to prosperous people and hear it in their words. They think differently than you do. Anybody ever talk to somebody who's got bigger thinking than you? I love to surround myself with people like that. Why? Because they make you better. Amen. You play tennis with somebody who's better than you, guess what you do? You get better at tennis. You hang out with prosperous people, you start to realize they think differently. I was talking to a friend. We had lunch last week. We were talking about Elon Musk. He's one of the most prosperous dudes on the planet. He is talking about colonizing Mars, okay? He is talking about changing 
transportation in America. He is thinking huge. I said it like that on purpose. He is thinking big thoughts. And do you know what's amazing? He's not a Christian. It ought to irritate us when we have to look at the world for inspiration on how to think. I went on a rant last year when we took our kids to Disney World and I watched their $250,000 fireworks display that they put on every single night at the Magic Kingdom at 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. It blew me away. And I thought, I'm so moved emotionally. I'm so, I mean, it was so incredible to see these stinking fireworks and, you know, Cinderella's castle. And my kids are like crying. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm going, this is the world. This isn't even the church. This isn't even the body of Christ. Here these people are doing, they're doing stuff with such excellence and prosperity. And here we are as a church, you know, well, brother, I don't know. any praise and, you know, just pray for me, brother, that God will help me pay my mortgage this month. Guys, prosperity, it's not money. It's a way of thinking. It's a shift. It's a shift in how you view the world. Success is the result of something. Okay, we went into a, you know we went into a bidding competition for a bidding situation for our company and we won that bid. That's success. You can have success and not prosper, but you can't have prosperity and not be successful. Boy, you need to write that one down. You can have success and not prosper. You can make more money next year than you ever made and still be broke by the end of the year if you don't change how you think. Number nine. I got 23 seconds to get these next three out, so y'all believe for a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, supernatural fruit, praise God. Here we go. Hallelujah. Number nine, indicator of the will of God is focus. Philippians chapter three, verse 13 and 14, read this from the New Living Translation. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Paul's talking about perfection in this chapter. And he says, no, I haven't achieved it. I haven't gotten to perfection. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. There, when you step into the will of God, you receive some kind of crazy focus because the will of God becomes the thing that you hunger for. His desire for your life becomes your singular desire and now everything gets filtered through the will of God. You find focus when you find God's will. Number 10. Number 10, you find joy. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, 11. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, you think that the will of God, amen, brother, thank you. We we sometimes think the will of God is going to be a desperate place. We think the will of God is going to be a dry place. It's going to be something I don't want. The only way that the will of God is something you don't want is if your heart is filled with rebellion. (laughs) 
<laughs> just receive it, okay? Just, <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but it's true. The only way the will of God is a bad thing in your life, it's something you don't want, is if your heart has rebellion towards him. But when the heart is pure and cleaned of all rebellion, we start to hunger the presence of the Lord. We start to hunger the will of God because it's in his will and it's in his presence that I find the fullness of joy. You can't get any more joy than what you find in the will of God and in the presence of God. Joy. It ought to be coming up and showing up in your life in unexplained places all the time. That's what it means to be in God's will. Number 11, finally, I told you I'd quote this scripture before the series was over. I didn't think it was going to be the last verse, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Y'all know this because it's been on your fridge for a decade. I know the thoughts that I think to you, declares the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. What is an indicator of the will of God for your life? A future. A future. People who are hopeless in their lives are people who have no future. The minute the enemy convinces you that you have no future is the minute he robs you of your hope. Amen. You know this is true because hope, the Bible says, is an expectation of the goodness of God. Hope is the expectation that God is who he said he was. That he's the one who by his word is going to make my life grow and make my life increase and make my life better than it is right now. The future of walking with God means a future filled with hope. Means you can expect the best is yet to come. He said, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. You gotta rid the idea that the that 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 the devil, or excuse me, that God wants to harm you. It's the devil who, who has it out for you. Jesus said in John 10 10, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have that more abundantly. His interest for you is a future and a hope and a life that is filled with his abundance and his goodness and his love and his grace, which is overflowing and will overwhelm you. But how does it start? How do we get into these 11 things? How do I get to the place where I'm in the middle of God's will, Pastor? It seems so difficult. It's not hard. Start today. Start right now by acknowledging him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 says that if in all of our ways we would acknowledge him, if we'll just acknowledge him in everything, he will direct our path. He will make the path straight in front of us. And every time I start to get off in a ditch over here, every time I start to get off in a ditch over here, the grace of God and the spirit of God and the mercy of God will gently come and bring me right back to his will if I'll only start by acknowledging him in all your ways. Not just at church on Sunday. Not just at small groups on Wednesday night. Not just when you have coffee with a friend who needs to hear a positive word and so we're gonna talk about God and we'll acknowledge him. No, what about when you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse? What do you think would happen in the fight if y'all both stopped to acknowledge God? You think the fight would keep going? 
What would happen to the sickness in your body if you would just acknowledge the presence of God? Would the sickness stay? Could it? Or would it be that our acknowledging of him actually causes his will to begin to automatically take place in our lives? You need a future. You need a hope. You need to move forward in what God's called you to do. And you can. You can have peace. You can have protection. You can have success and prosperity and joy and safety. You can overcome every challenge that you'll need to overcome when you acknowledge him in all of your ways. Why don't we start right now? Why don't we start with this moment? Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't say, yeah, that sounds really good. Tomorrow during my quiet time, I'm gonna acknowledge God. You'll be like that person who said, pastor, we're here for life. We wanna stay here and then I never see him again. Start right now. Make this moment the moment that you say, I'm setting a new precedent in my life. I'm going to start acknowledging God in everything right now. What would happen? What would happen to the atmosphere in this room if every person acknowledged God? Let's stand up to our feet and find out. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.